Hi, and welcome to the Plot Twist Design Business Podcast. My name is Kelly Collier. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking with Joy Moiler of Joy Moiler Interiors. Stay tuned and let's get started. Welcome to the podcast. Kelly, hello. Thank you for having me. I so appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time out to be here today. Uh, been looking forward to it all day. <laughs> me too. Me too, for sure. Um, so before we get started, I must tell you, I have so many questions and so much that I wanted to talk about that I had to like force myself to condense it. <laughs> well, I hope I have answers. <laughs> yes, I'm sure. So before we get started, if you can um, tell our audience um, exactly like where you're located and a little bit about uh, your firm. I am located in New York, uh, just outside of the city. Uh, I do uh, high-end residential interior design, uh, photography, journalism, <laughs> uh, and I dance like a fiend. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> so... It's interesting that you mentioned high end because a lot of those of us who are newer are still trying to get our footing and figure out um, high end and luxury design and what really defines that. So um, I want to talk about that a little bit. But before we do, can I just ask you if you could also share how your journey in interior design started? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I will try to give you the most abbreviated version I possibly can. Uh, my career to date has gone 30 years, so it has not been an overnight success situation for sure. Um, I, I, I've told the story many times, but um, I was introduced to architecture uh, during a trip to Spain as a wean a youngin, <laughs> and I was hit with a piece of a stone off of an Antonio Gatti uh, project, and I was just absolutely enthralled by this particular structure, structure due to its high level of ornamentation and detail. And I was at a time, of course, at the age of 14, really trying to give much thought to what my career path was going to be. And I was so taken by this architectural structure. I just sort of just started doing all of the research that I possibly could on Antonia Gaudi and uh, various uh, architects of that time. Uh, then I attended the uh, High School of Interior Design where I studied photography, fashion, illustration, um, painting, architecture, an introduction to architecture, uh, creative writing, and a whole bunch of other things on a rotation. Uh, from there, I attended uh, architectural school and graduated with a Bachelor of Science in Architecture and started working with famed uh, architectural firm Skidmore, Owings and Merrill uh, and doing about three years of architecture before I uh, moved to the world of interiors because I was asked if I wanted to start doing interiors projects during a lull of architectural projects. And I said, absolutely, because I didn't want to miss any meals. 
and I wanted to guarantee a continuous paycheck. And I already had a devout love of textiles and the creative arts and color and pattern and weaving and things of that nature. So it was without a doubt an easy foray into um, that uh, creative opportunity and started working uh, in firms that did uh, architecture and interiors. I didn't want to ever just work for a firm that just did interiors because I wanted to have the beauty of jumping from discipline to discipline. I, I really loved that balance that uh, perhaps for three months I would work on an architectural project and then jump over to interiors. So I, I've always managed to uh, have that ability in everything that I did because I, I got bored really easily. And mm -hmm. I was fearful that if I stayed in architecture, I'd never be able to do interiors and vice versa. And so uh, to this day, I really toggle between the two and it makes me happy. Wow. I would think it is never a dull moment because, I mean, the architecture side, you definitely have a, a leg up and um, definitely one up on a lot of interior designers because you get the you get your hands in both and you have the best of both worlds, it seems like, from the very beginning. Well, yeah, I mean, and without a doubt, I mean, if, if nothing else, that uh, architectural acumen allows me to be able to read drawings better. I mean, I can do a set of construction documents myself. I've done many, many construction sets. Um, so I, of course, have a familiarity with that. That, of course, allows me to have clear uh, transparency and, and somehow mm -hmm. swing difficult language as well when I'm working with contractors. And they respect the fact that I know what I'm talking about and I speak their language and I can draw, you know, a curtain wall detail or framing detail mm -hmm. um, if I have to. And it's something that the client truly appreciates because although I'm not a registered architect, they understand my knowledge of architecture and it saves them money if I can communicate with the contractor uh, in a way that saves them money. You know, like I know if a contractor mm -hmm. is bullshitting, you know, mm -hmm. and I can say, oh no, you, you can do that this way by using this particular detail, you know, and then they start right. the contractor take a step back because they're like, oh shoot, you know, now I really have to, sharpen my pencil because they get a little intimidated when they understand, you <laughs> yes. know, that I know their job and I can kind of check up on their stuff, you know? So yeah. it, 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 to a large degree, it really helps the flow of a project and uh, the clients better protected with, with that level of architectural knowledge that I have. Yes. And I just would have loved to one day be a fly on a wall and see you in action with the with the contractors and to their surprise I'm sure um when you speak the words and the terminology that they they know I'm sure it must catch some people off guard if they don't know oh yeah it, it definitely does and uh, I have some other terminologies which are not architectural terms <laughs> that I use when talking with them as well because you know sometimes you just have to go deep in the crate and speak the language that they understand and yes. and, and I don't mind that either <laughs> That's so funny. So I'm just curious, can you tell me um, which one do you prefer between commercial and residential design work? Uh, it depends on the day, but wholeheartedly, 
I, I have a deep fondness for residential uh, projects, but sometimes when the detailing just gets too crazy into clients' lives and stuff, I sort of mm -hmm. have a fantasy about doing more hospitality projects because then you don't really have to deal with um, too many clients about, you know, where the ladies personal items are going to be stored. You could just focus on big picture without mm -hmm. really worrying about so much about the people who are going to stay in it for a very extended uh, period of time. But I, I, and I did this major hospitality project in Moscow, Russia, and it was really wonderful. I mean, it's a project of uh, over 80,000 square feet and it's enormous. Wow. And it was a five-year project, which are many of my projects are five years at this point. But uh, it was just really wonderful to work on a project of that magnitude for five mm -hmm. years and really be lost in a project, just focusing on the details because you don't have to really manage, you know, like a husband and wife or something like that. You're just dealing with the developers mm -hmm. and you're creating, you know, a wonderful environment, but you don't have to be concerned about you know, where the kids' toys are going to go and those sorts of things. But but I do toggle on on both um, because I, I always want to toggle. I mean, I mean <laughs> when you get down to it, I always want to toggle. I always want to do some of everything. I want to do the, you know, the commercial projects, the hospitality projects, the residential projects. You know, I want to continue to do, you know, planes and boats mm -hmm. and, you know, all of those things as well. Yeah. And that shows to me when I, I've read about you and I've seen a lot of the features that you were in and your work and it, it definitely shows that it's, you love all of it and that you are well-rounded in all of it, of course. And so I was wondering as well, when you talk about doing a project somewhere as far away from home as Russia, so How's how would that like just if you can walk us through like what does that look like or what did it look like managing home like you being away from home how much time did you have to split between home and work and how was that balancing for you with your um, family it, uh, I it was what uh, four projects to Moscow we have a, a really tight uh, team with the developer. Uh, mm -hmm. in Moscow, it was a de Russian developmental company who uh, procured us for the project. I have a uh, architectural partner who is absolutely amazing, who's done several projects in Moscow. Previously, uh, we worked together at Ralph Lauren. Uh, he was he did the Ralph Lauren store there. So he already had a strong familiarity with moving about mm -hmm. in uh, Moscow. And the drawings that we did were all, well, they would arrive to us, the base drawing architecture, sort of, well, we actually had mm -hmm. to go there and walk the site and determine where we wanted the building. And then we did conceptual drawings um, and the deliverables on that were really very steep. And we would do our drawings in uh, English and uh, all of our sections. I mean, we had 300 sheets of drawings for the construction uh, set. Wow. And wow. <laughs> I mean, from window sections and mullions and metal designing metal rails and uh, all, I mean, every level of detail you can imagine. 
and uh, we would get together <laughs> frequently. Uh, I was at mm -hmm. the time sharing an office with uh, my architectural partner in Dumbo. So it was constantly, you know, going out there and going through sets of drawings, but also working remotely. And every architectural app for project management that you can think of, we work, we used on this project that I still use to this day. And, you know, very much from my days at working at Ralph Lauren, the work was done very remotely anyway, because we mm -hmm. were constantly traveling and enlisting uh, partners who would deal with sort of boots on the ground with procurement and building codes and um, things of that nature. So I, I've long been in that world where Okay. You're never in the same room with the whole team all the time. It just doesn't work that way. You you couldn't possibly do a project without, um, you know, boots being on the ground and people working in your mm -hmm. stead in another town, state, or country. And um, because it was a res, it was not a residential project. We really focused very. It gave me an opportunity to focus very heavily on the details and the materials. And there are probably 40 rooms in the project. So each room, the finished schedules were out of this world. The, the number mm. of samples of brass and silver and anything wow. you can imagine from <laughs> the interior finishes to the exterior fixtures to building of the gatehouse and um, everything on the property is unbelievable. The most difficult thing about the whole project, of course, is that I don't speak Russian. So mm -hmm. trans mm -hmm. Google Translate was my friend, of course. Um, <laughs> XE Currency was my friend, of course. Um any sort of uh, retrofitting with respect to any kind of calculations and, you know, meters, everything was constantly being converted from inches to imperial. And, you know, so it was just really an intensive opportunity uh, to do that and work on that project. Wow. But the craziest thing of all is that anytime I needed to send samples uh, to the team mm -hmm. in Moscow, it was just so unbelievably expensive because you could send a six inch piece of wood to to Russia mm -hmm. and it cost six hundred dollars. It cost two two hundred dollars. Wow. So that's crazy. You know, very early on before my contract was even completely written, uh, I was given the heads up like make sure you have a really tight line in there for reimbursables for shipping because you Mm -hmm. absolutely broke just sending samples <laughs> yeah. wow 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 so that everything you just said sounds so intense it makes one a one room project sound like just nothing <laughs> like a walk in a park when it comes down to just all the level of detail um that you talked about so I do want to stop for a moment to switch gears a little bit and just talk about Ralph Lauren <laughs> for a moment because I've heard um, quite a few interior designers talk about their experience with um, retail or fashion. So can you tell us a little bit about your days at Ralph Lauren and if that had any type of influence or, you know, help with your experiences? Well, um, 
you know, the other, I always toggled, I'm a toggler. Uh, so I was always mm -hmm. debating whether or not I wanted to continue my studies with fashion design or architecture. And Ralph Lauren was the perfect opportunity for me because I got to do architecture in a fashion world. And, you know, mm -hmm. part of that working for a lifestyle brand is we had to wear Ralph Lauren clothes to work. You know, mm -hmm. so and we were mixing high and low purple label with black label and women's collection. And mm. it was wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, it was so interesting because when we would travel and go to lunch, people would laugh at us and say, oh, my God, what is this? A Ralph Lauren ad? Because we would all be dressed head to toe, <laughs> even if it was jeans with like the most amazing leather jacket, mm -hmm. you know, head to toe. So that was always great, great fun. But um, I mean, there were many of us, many of my friends uh who work together who are still you know sort of connected to the brand in some way because once you go to RLU as we call it Ralph Lauren University you know it's it's an ethos that continues to be in your blood and we all had such mm. magical experiences because we traveled together we worked on projects together so we would end up in Palm Beach or Beverly Hills or, or Denver, Colorado mm -hmm. or wherever working nice. on stores, you know, internationally and domestically. And we'd swoop down on the town and, you know, we'd take over the restaurant, <laughs> you know, but it was wow. just wonderful. But to be fully immersed in this Ralph Lauren lifestyle with Tyson Beckford mm -hmm. on the walls, wherever you went, <laughs> you know, yes. and we just had such a wonderful opportunity to, cre to create these environments, you know, and that experience taught me that when you walk into a room, you want to have a feeling, you want someone immediately to feel as though they're, they've been transported through the drama of the environment that they're in. So when you walk into a Ralph Lauren store, if you see a ceiling fan, every ceiling fan is moving at the same speed, right? The music, mm, the music okay. is calm, right? But it's, it's, you know, enjoyable and it's soothing. You know, you smell the candles. The candles are the same in women's collection. They're the same, that same fragrance in men's, you know. So you are walking into men's and you're feeling cashmere before you even put it on your body. You know, there might be, mm -hmm. you know, an alligator wing chair in the men's department that's $55,000 that you're going to just sit in and try a pair of shoes on if you're a man, you know, <laughs> yes. if you're a woman, the orchids are just, you know, untold, you know, you're, you're seeing, you know, purple label, you know, dresses, black label dresses, just boom, hanging right there. And the staff is encouraging mm -hmm. you, even if it's something that you're not intending to buy, you know, the sales staff is encouraging you to try it on just for the experience. Right. And how often yes. do you get yes. to walk into a shop and someone's encouraging you to try something on They're often looking you over and like, can you, can she right. afford this? Can she afford this? But at a Ralph Lauren store, it's about the experience, you know, so you're smelling the flowers, you're smelling the scent. You know, someone is coming over to you and saying, yeah, that's a beautiful evening gown. But you know what? You deserve to try that on. And that sort of wow. mentality about how we would deal with the consumer is also how Ralph wanted us to live. 
While we were there, he didn't mm -hmm. want us to experience anything that he wouldn't experience for himself. That doesn't mean he wow. was letting us borrow his antique Dugatti, you know, <laughs> and drive around <laughs> right. in the old 1942 Morgan. <laughs> but when we were traveling on the road, we always stayed in the finest of hotels because he felt that if we were traveling, that. we were away from our families or whatever, we weren't staying in a Motel 6. We had, yes. we had That's really, amazing. really high, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a stipends or whatever. When we traveled, there might've been 20 mm -hmm. of us in a pack. We all rented our own cars because we were going in nice. different directions and we were encouraged to live well. So I only walked away with the highest of highs of Ralph Lauren experiences. Mm. And men, and many of us did. Him. That's why a lot of us stayed so long. Yeah, I was going to say, it probably, I don't know exactly why you switched gears or why you left, but it sounds to me like you definitely took away an amazing experience and lessons, like you said, about just living in general. But I love the fact that they foster that type of um, environment and experience because when you were talking and just describing the store, I could almost close my eyes and feel like I'm inside the store because it told me a story, which is what our goal is when we're trying to create spaces, you know, for oh, people's homes oh, as absolutely. well. Absolutely. And uh, my reason for leaving was because I wanted to work on more uh, residential projects because I'd been at Ralph Lauren for oh, seven okay. years and I was designing showrooms for various brands and doing things like that. Okay. But, um, and I was working as well on occasion with the interiors group. Uh, but I really wanted to start doing, uh, not to start, but go back to doing uh, more residential work because prior to immediately prior to uh, joining Ralph Lauren, I was working with another interior designer, uh, John Saladino, and that was uh, doing architecture and interiors as well. But, you know, I just, you know, after seven years, maybe it's just time to change things, you know? Mm -hmm. But, but the moment that. I left and um, handed in my resignation, I thought, oh, my God, what mm -hmm. have I done? <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate the transparency, Joy, because I have done a few different careers in my life. And I think that the, the best part of it was for me that I got I was easily adapted to change because of it but I also mm. craved it and so um, it makes you if you're already a person who just likes doing different things which it sounds like we have that in common because I do as well um, it, it I'm, I'm sure you still second guess something that was amazing because how do you you know when you walk away from something amazing even if you have an objective it still wasn't an easy decision it doesn't sound like or something that you right, think but twice you know what? about I, I covet change I truly truly do change is what makes you grow change what is what makes you experience yes. life beyond measure and I don't believe in staying stuck you know we put so much time mm -hmm. in our career why not? Why, why stay and do one thing? I don't have to do one thing. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot because I was trained for a lot. I was trained in photography, journalism, architecture, mm -hmm. interior design, fashion illustration, everything creative. So I refuse to limit myself because I put in the work, right. I put in the time, the dedication and the effort. So 
I'm not ashamed or embarrassed by that. And I don't want to dim my light to just do one thing and one thing only because I study too hard to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I also, one of the things I read um, and I smiled when I read it in one of your recent features, you talked about how you don't like to use the same vendors for you know, project to project, you like using different, you know, furniture, different vendors. And to me, that's what keeps things different. So I know that you specialize in higher end um, interior design. Do you have a specific niche or aesthetic that you like? Uh, You know, uh, it depends on the client. I don't have a signature style because I don't want one. Uh, I don't want somebody to look at a project of mine and say, oh, Joy did that. You know, because I'm a designer. I want to design. I want to do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're just known, this is just my opinion. I think you're if, if you're known for mm-hmm. one thing, people don't expect you to do more. So why do you want people to look mm-hmm. at you and mm-hmm. say, uh, that's all they can do? You know, like, mm-hmm. right? Why do that's you, a great you point. Always want to wear the same outfit and people know what you're going to wear before you show up because you're always in the same outfit. You know, right, right, right. And, a great and my clients, they so many of I mean, it's a very tight knit group. Right. And so many of them know one mm-hmm. another. So I can't possibly continue the same look on every project because I don't want one go into the other one's house because these are clients. They have four, five, six houses. Right. So I don't want a client yeah. going to someone, a, one of their friends house whose work that I've done and say, Oh, she gave that to me too. Oh yeah. I have that too. Because mm-hmm. when you start mm-hmm. a project, I don't want them to think I, I have one file and one file only right. for a seating. I don't want them to think, Oh yeah. She's pulling dining tables from that one file. You know, <laughs> they aren't paying yeah. you to use the same damn resources all the time. They want, I mean, they don't want to go to a party and be in the same dress as a girlfriend, right? Does everybody want to show up at the party in the same Givenchy dress? No, (laughs) no, no, hello. And so they expect you to do something else. Yeah. Yep. I think that's, I think that's key to being creative for sure. And so. Uh, let's just talk about luxury and high end for a moment because this is something that has been a bit subjective and is a little bit adversity, a little bit of um, I would say adversity around the topic just among designers I follow and just different things I've heard. So I've heard, I know you've probably heard people use the terminology a high low budget for clients who cannot afford per se to have everything high end. How do you feel about a high, low budget? And do you think that's a good segue for those of us still trying to get, you know, higher end clients? Well, I mean, I don't think a a client's got to be honest with you about where they are. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're dealing with Mm -hmm. someone and they're talking to you about a particular brand that they must have and you're getting a sense about where their budget is. But if you ask them about their top five manufacturers, you know, and they say Mm -hmm. "Mm, on that level, you know where they are. They say they're "Mm, on this, you know, the brands are here. They're telling you kind of where they are. So 
And then you have to kind of look at their budget and that'll determine where a client is, right? But if a designer says, oh, mm -hmm. I only want to work on high-end budgets with high-end clients, mm -hmm. then that's where you should be. High-end clients, really high-end, like 1% clients, they don't want restoration hardware. You know, they don't want mm -hmm. you showing them that. Uh, high-end 1% clients, um, they're not going to talk to you about high-low. <laughs> Uh -huh. Right. They're not going to talk to you about high love. Right. Um, but if you have a client right. who has a particular budget and their budget is, mm, right, but they want something really special, then that's your opportunity to introduce to them something, you know, a little bit more extravagant. But when you talk okay. about high, uh, it, it kind of makes me laugh, though, because it's high is just kind of like a funny word. Like what's high, you know, the quality mm -hmm. always yeah. better be high. I can't go to my clients and go like, Oh, um, do you want high or low? Cause they just look at you like you're freaking crazy. Like, of, of course I want high. Right. And high means quality. Right. High doesn't mean, you know, I just want something because Tom Ford did it, you know? You know, they want something right. quality because, you know, high because that's where the freaking quality is and they know it was made by hand. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was, that's the word that I was waiting to hear you say because it's something that I try to explain to people that luxury and high end doesn't always mean expensive because everything expensive is not necessarily good quality, but typically good quality right. tends to be more It usually is more expensive. Sounds like yeah. I just said, I guarantee you it's, it's always expensive. <laughs> that burl, you know, in a Bentley is expensive. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And handmade. Yeah. Is expensive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that people, I don't know, I just want to encourage some interior designers and even myself in this conversation, because I'm still new, um, that you don't always have to rush and feel like if you don't have a serious huge budget that you can't do quality. But at the same time, we have to educate clients and help them understand what quality really is and what, right, what luxury right. really I, is. But getting back to your story for a minute, it, it kind of makes me laugh when I hear designers say, I want to be a high-end designer. I want to be a luxury designer. Like, <laughs> what is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. I never I never really started off by saying mm -hmm. I want to be that person. I hear it a lot. But I hear it a and lot. Like I hear I hear it a I lot. I mean I I and I've I, always worked for high end luxury <laughs> designers, but no one ever says, you know, really, oh I want to be a luxury designer. That's never really a right. goal. I feel like you, you just, just end up doing projects like that. Yeah. I was just getting ready to say, it seems to me that what I'm, besides your story, but what I've seen is that the interior designers on your level, you walk into that by your experience and then the clientele that you get. I mean, uh, that's so exactly how it happens. It comes through experience. You know, when you just keep like mm -hmm. digging deep and before you know it, you, you know, you're just constantly at a next level. 
because the firms that you're at are just at a next level. And <clears throat> this isn't a question, but um, friends of mine sometimes say, oh, you, you should be far more arrogant than you are. And I, I say, what do you mean? I say, well, I don't understand. Uh, I just know that I don't want to be like some of the designers that I've worked for. And it's like, just imagine working mm. at some of the firms at the highest level with the most demanding, egotistical, obnoxious, you know, assholes, mm. sorry, top luxury, you know, with, mm-hmm. with top luxury mm-hmm. sources available, top clientele, and then multiply that by 20. You know, that that was my life working wow. with a lot of these other people in these other firms every single day. And, you know, I just want to be a percentage of that. I don't want to be that all out obnoxious, you know. And then working for Giorgio Armani, you know, it's just, it's the same mm-hmm. thing, you know. But, oh, that clothing mm. allowance was so sweet. It was hard walking away from that. <laughs> it was so hard, but I wrecked so many oh, wow. privé jackets at construction sites. But yeah, yeah. Wow. But the thing is, when I you want to go to a great firm, check out the perks first. <laughs> don't 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 just sign up just <laughs> to do good the design advice. projects. Make sure the perks are top tier. <laughs> so, Joy, in your opinion and from your experience, do you think? it's better for an interior designer to work for another designer before starting absolutely. their own firm. I absolutely encourage that. Um, there is so much value in learning the business on somebody else's dime. And, and I've talked about this mm. ad nauseum. Why be in such a rush to start your own firm? Go work at other firms study on somebody else's dime, mm-hmm. learn the hard knocks of the business. You might think you know everything and you have your own business and you get mm-hmm. knocked on your butt because you don't know the terminologies. You don't have the design acumen. People don't respect you because you don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. And once the client knows that mm. people are talking about you in a way that's not respected, it changes it puts a face mm-hmm. on your business that you're going to have to dig holes to get out of. So learn that information. Mm. You you have no idea what you mm-hmm. don't know if you jump out there starting your own firm without working for, in my opinion, at least two to three firms before mm-hmm. you start your own business. That's That's good advice. I think that for me... I learned quickly that I had to take a step back with getting a mentor. And then in Philadelphia, um, there are some interior design firms, which a couple that I reached out to, they really weren't interested in having Mm -hmm. um, an intern per se or anything like that. So for me, because I work full time, it was a little bit challenging for me to actually get into a situation like sounds like that would be ideal. But um, even working at West Elm or somewhere like that, mm-hmm. where they have the design section, do you think that's beneficial? I think beneficial? That that's, that's, you know, sort of what's available to you. Um, then I say, yeah, go for it. But that's not a real design firm in terms of a okay. real interior design firm. You know, that's, I, I, okay. I, yeah. I mean, that's not a real interior design firm. Yeah. 
Right. And so um, I asked that because there are a few people who have mentioned they went to school, they got their degree, and then they still struggle because they don't know how to start their own business or, and it's two different caveats altogether, I think, um, because 80% business. of it is right. Right. business. So that's the part that people don't learn in yeah. school. So, yeah, I mean, but you have to learn a lot on your yeah. own, take classes at night or something. You know, I mean, every everything can't be learned mm-hmm. on Google. Right. You know, you can't That's just true. Google oh, construction terminologies and think you know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> right. I'll learn all That's the terminologies <laughs> and then people to think I know what I'm talking about. And then you'll use it in the absolutely wrong context. And people will look at you and they'll go, oh. What did mm-hmm. you do? Google that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Google the word, but not the definition, yes, you know? So, I mean, the thing is mm-hmm. just put yourself in the position that puts you at your highest level, your highest level of performance, whatever your pocket can afford, whatever your opportunity and environment can afford, do it. You know, everybody wants to, to mm-hmm. glow up and, you know, be on the boss up and, you know, you know boss Mm -hmm. up and study the way you need to study you know everybody doesn't have all the money in the world and Mm -hmm. take a bunch Mm -hmm. of classes I understand that but you know you you, I mean you got to dig deep this is the problem but it's 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 largely with Mm -hmm. society people want a cheap easy fast way you know the real learning comes in the grit that's true the real learning comes with sitting mm-hmm. at the table, you know, till three and four in the morning with the books cracked, you know, working at, I, I worked at Skidmore in Maryland mm-hmm. until three in the morning for two and a half years. You know what? Because that was, wow. the, that was the demand of the work that we were doing. We had, you know, unbelievable partners who were making demands for deliverables and we had an office of 200 people. They didn't give a darn that, you know, we had homes to go to and family. We were there working all weekend long and wow. all week too. But the, what I learned in that, what I call darkness at the time, <laughs> I call it darkness because <laughs> I used to cry. And my dad would say, oh, stop your whining later in your career. You know, you'll look back on this and you'll be so thankful and nobody could take anything from you. Mm -hmm. Nobody could take anything from you because of what you're doing now. And my dad isn't with us any longer. Mm -hmm. But before he left this earth, I made sure that I told him thank you, you know, for for encouraging me and insisting that I go to work the next morning, you know, and and go back at it again. Because, I mean, that's the way it is. And. You know, I, I've spoken to some friends too, and they often say, "Like, I didn't know you knew this stuff. When did you know this stuff? We get together for dinner, and you never even suggested that you knew this." Da, 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 da. I was like, "I don't have to talk about it, you know." But this is just what you get out right. of putting That's so true. many hours in. So, you know, in order to be competitive, right. we have to talk about business and the fact that you know it's a competitive industry. So, if you want to win the big projects. You want to get, you know, the big, big clients and keep it that way and have a good reputation at the end of Mm -hmm. the day. And people speak highly of you and people, your clients and your team have confidence in your ability, you know, to not embarrass yourself or them. Mm -hmm. You got to put the time in and do the work. And everybody 
right now just kind of wants things to happen overnight. Like I want to post some projects on Instagram and get clients and start mm-hmm. my own business because I don't want to mm-hmm. work for anybody else because I don't want anybody else telling me what to do. You know what? That person telling you what to do could be the best friend you ever have in your entire career. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's it's something that you definitely, for myself, I found that out pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. I don't talk about it on Instagram, but I have classes lined up because I need to learn more. And I think that you don't really know what 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 you said earlier. You don't know what you don't know until right. you know it. So you learn what you don't know, and that's the situation. And I think a lot of younger people, because mm-hmm. I'm really not that young, but like people like my daughter's age, like twenties, early twenties, they think <clears throat> they have that popcorn yeah. microwave popcorn mentality. Like overnight, um, this is going to happen, and it's just not. So I agree with you 110% that work needs to be done, and it, and it depends on which level you want to go to, you know? I think that has a lot to, to do with it, too, but um, since you have worked outside of the United States and met all kinds of clients and from different backgrounds and everything, do you think that um, clients overseas have a better or different appreciation for interior design in general? No, I don't, I don't think so at all. Um, I think it's the same. The only real difference is siestas, (laughs) you know, (laughs) it it isn't that they don't respect the, you know, the, the American designer. They don't, they don't understand our time. They think we're too stressed out. You know, they don't understand, you know, that we're uh, so driven by time and getting things done. Their perception is take it easy. It'll get done. It'll get done. It'll get done. And you're like, I got to get this done. I got to get this done. You know, it is such a different mental (laughs) state. Their approach is beauty takes time. Beauty takes time. And Mr. Mm. Armani used to say this all the time. Beauty takes time. You know, and uh, and it does, right? <laughs> because the thing about Europeans, they're so heavily rooted in craftsmanship. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. Craftsmanship creates good design, creates quality design, creates a product that has that becomes a legend, right? And surpasses mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Americans tend to let's get it done. Let's get it done. You know, we can replace it in two years if we have to. Mm-hmm. Europeans work from the perspective of mm-hmm. longevity. Mm-hmm. They want it to last at least fifty years, and in doing that, mm-hmm. you know, time time is their friend, uh, and the product is going to be. Ab- and here's yeah. a case in point to that point. Uh, the Moscow project, we had, I think, uh, 16 fireplaces in this project. And I originally mm-hmm. specified Chesney's wow. fireplaces. They're a wonderful London-based uh, fireplace mantle freeze manufacturer. And I specified all of these mantles to be Chesney's and submitted the drawings. We used the Chesney's CAD files. All of our elevations had the appropriate mantle drawing, beautiful drawings. I mean, these are CAD drawings. We later had professional renderings done, but you know, 
that was the specifications. One of the mm-hmm. reasons why the project took five years, Russians, they aren't going to just order a, something in the catalog. They took the CAD drawings and they chiseled mm-hmm. and recreated the design of the Chesney's mantles themselves in Russia. Because wow. it's not about just going wow. and buying something that somebody else had. They wanted to create their own because they have the artisans who are wonderful masons mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. just chiseled the most extraordinary friezes and mantles themselves. Yeah, that's that's something to be said about that. And something that came to my mind when you talked about the time they like to take for everything that also um, translates over into the fashion world too, because Italian shoes, you know, yes. they last longer. Yes. <laughs> Certain things, the, yes. the bottoms are leather. And so when people see um, somebody made oh mention of some Gucci sneakers I yeah. had on, but it's not about just the Gucci name. It's because these sneakers are comfortable. It's the cobbler, and they're gonna last me for a long The time. cobbler made them. <laughs> They're not from the <laughs> shoe store. The cobbler made them. <laughs> right. So, and speaking of beauty, I do want to say congratulations. I would be remiss if I did not oh, talk about Oh, thank your you so much. Such collection. a lovely surprise. I've got more product coming oh. in about three weeks. I'm so excited. You're welcome. I can't wait to see it. Um, so, I grew up with spending a lot of time at my grandparents' house. And so I was used to seeing China, good China, right? In a China cabinet that my grandmother actually believed in letting me use for tea and stuff like that. And so when I saw your collection come out, I just felt like, wow, because it's beautiful and it's still, it's very classy Mm -hmm. to me, but it still looks a little bit modern. Um, to me, just and maybe it's just because I don't really see China, but I'm not necessarily looking for China on a regular basis. So was that a goal that you had for a long time to create your own line of um, China? Oh, it was. Or I, I'm a nut for anything to related that? to the tabletop. I drink a lot of tea. I've spent a lot of time in London in the last five years and I've really um, fallen in love with the sort of afternoon tea service and it just really heightened my my interest in finally doing uh, a dinnerware line. And, you know, I started doing sketches years ago, but my mom was uh, terminally ill and had to put them on the back burner. And then, um, you know, after her mm. passing, I really just kind of jumped in on it and started getting uh, the prototype prototypes made uh, first. And just, you know, I, I did the drawings myself. I stayed up till three, four in the morning for a couple of weeks teaching, my, teaching myself Illustrator so wow. I could do the drawings because I'm a nut like that and I love like architectural <laughs> programs and I, I'll, I'll teach myself anything like in the middle of the okay. night, you know, it's so like, Oh my God, I got to learn this because the other nice. thing too is if you have people working for you and they tell you, Oh, this rendering, this, these elevations are going to take you five days. You believe it if you don't know how to do the work yourself, but if you know how to do your work yourself and somebody tells you a mm. rendering is going to take five days, you go, that's BS, you know? So uh, again, 
when you yes. work for people, <laughs> you better know your stuff, right? And mm -hmm. when you have people working for you, you don't mm -hmm. know what people can do and what's appropriate if you've never done it yourself. So that's why somebody tells me about something, I'm just yep. going to jump on and study it all weekend. But um, yeah, the China, that's something that I just really, really mm -hmm. wanted to do. And I'm expanding uh, the line and I'm just really excited about that. Yeah, I've got some new things, got some new things coming. Really? And um, yeah, I'm just really excited. And I'm excited about the work that I'm doing with Veranda Magazine as the contributing design editor there. And that's uh, creating some other opportunities. And yeah. one of the things that I'm really thrilled about through Veranda is that um, through Veranda, I was the um, design co-chair for Kipps Bay Showhouse in Palm Beach. Ah, yes. <laughs> Congratulations. I have a list. I told you I had a lot of things, right? Ah. So that was on my list. So and uh, one of the that things that, that I was, was really, um, so that was really important to me was bringing black designers into Palm Beach this mm -hmm. year. And I'm really, really excited that nice. um, I was able to make that happen and that Veranda and Kips Bay were really supportive of that measure. Yeah. Yeah, because that was, uh, yes. you, you wouldn't realize how big that. that was um, for Palm Beach, you know, to be able to do that. So I'm really, really excited. Yeah. Wow. I was excited to see it all. Believe me. And I watched as you gave a tour in your stories and you talked about the some of the rooms. And um, I talked to Nicole White pretty often in DMs and texts and all that. And I told her, I said, I literally want uh, to come there. When, when I called point. her That's and asked her to I participate, <laughs> she paused for a minute and then she shrieked mm -hmm. so loud. That she said, what? I said, I'd like to invite you to, to participate in Kips Bay this year. And she was just like, what? What? Oh. I said, come on, do it. <laughs> and then she quickly said, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was so excited for her and just everybody. And, you know, seeing everyone is part of history. So that has to be a good feeling that you. Oh, you yeah. Know, I, I'm really, really, really proud of that. And, and I've always. Um, you know, tried to reach back however I could because I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of reach mm -hmm. back for me when, you know, I was at the firms, the Lily White firms. Mm -hmm. I could have to say that, you know, that I was at where, mm -hmm. you know, and I, mm -hmm. it, you know, mm -hmm. people say, I was the only black person in the room. And I'm like, what are you, when are you talking about? Five years ago, I'd go to design showrooms. And I'd be the only black person in the room. I said, yeah, well, 30 years ago when I started, I was really the only black person in the room. I'm sure there were some other black folks there <laughs> right. somewhere. You may not have been looking hard enough. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so let's talk about one more. And there's so many things going on. I know you have a lot going on that I probably don't even know about. But the one thing I saw that I was really excited about oh, yeah. as well That's is always the design on dime that's coming up in New York. So for people who don't know about exactly what it is, can you just share a little oh, yeah, bit about of course. what uh, design, design on a dime, dime is, is a housing works uh, opportunity and benefit. It's an annual benefit to uh, benefit originally those 
who were victims of the AIDS epidemic, uh, who were immediately homeless and without jobs due to the stigmas associated mm-hmm. with AIDS and their uh, lack of health care, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became involved in Housing Works Design on a Dime because I was working at firms during the height of the AIDS epidemic where, you know, suddenly someone would, next to you would start to feel a little sick and they'd complain about being ill and then maybe a couple of weeks would pass and they still were unable to return to work. And then suddenly someone would come and collect, mm-hmm. collect their belongings from their desk, you know, and that would happen week after week, mm-hmm. month after mm-hmm. month. And you would see your team often dwindled uh, because of the AIDS epidemic. And it was at a time when, you know, a lot of men wouldn't even uh, admit that they were homosexual because of the stigma and the concern that they would become ill. And Mm -hmm. it was just a really horrific um, time in the design and creative industries and Sounds you know like with it. dancing and all sorts of things creatively. And um, so Housing Works started uh, the design on the dime. And what it is, this is a vignette. Everyone's giving a uh, space. Um, this year it measures, it's smaller this year. It's only what, 14 feet by seven feet. And then you have to beg all the manufacturers to give you product Mm -hmm. for your space. And um, you come up with a concept or not. It could be a hodgepodge or it's a concept. You might do a library Mm -hmm. or a dining space or a lounge, whatever. And you just sort of install it in a beautiful, fanciful way uh, and sell all of the product. Uh, that's in the space. So this year, I've got mm. half of Ralph Lauren's uh, glassware <laughs> coming to my site. Beautiful crystal stuff. I've got wow. uh, Ebron. I've got some things oh, wow. from Arteriors, Bungalow Five, Walters Wicker, Serena and Lily. Oh, wow. um, tons and tons of stuff for my space this year. I'm really, really excited. And usually it's about 60 designers at the Metropolitan Pavilion. But, you know, due to our lovely pandemic, we're Mm -hmm. now uh, being located in uh, three different locations. And I think it's only 30 designers this year. But it'll be a lot of fun. Money will be raised um, for health care of the homeless and those battling uh, health health issues, yes. health crises. So, you know, I, I originally said, I don't have time to do it this year. But um, James Hunniford, who is the founder, he's very, very hard to say no to. And then, he, of course, he made me a design co-chair as well, <laughs> just because I don't have enough to do. But, uh, yeah. I saw that when yeah, I was looking But any way that I can help I them, I always do there, because... So. It's just wow. near and dear to my heart, and I've lost so many friends nice. over the years due to the AIDS crisis. So this is my way to wow. um, say I remember you, <laughs> I love you, and um, however I can help someone, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I'm excited about coming because I 
I couldn't come in 2019. It and did not. Yeah. Last year, I don't believe because of the pandemic. Yeah, we were on quarantine then. So when I saw this, that it's actually happening, I noticed there is mm-hmm. just a two hour window that mm-hmm. you can register for at a time because of the restrictions, I guess. But I'm looking forward to seeing your yeah. vignette. Well, and, and it's great you know, because usually person. the line wraps um, around the there. block and you see staying on the line and Don Lemon and you know wow. you see all these people from television from music and entertainment on the line and they're all in line with everybody nice. else and then you go and typically you go into the space and you kind of look around to see what designer has what and then they ring the bell and it becomes an absolute shopping frenzy mm-hmm. so I imagine you know depending upon your location <laughs> it's going to be mayhem again and we only get seven hours to set up the space and i've got so yeah. much stuff yeah yes this year we only have oh, seven wow. hours I didn't usually we that. have 12 hours usually oh, the wow. first day we have eight hours and then the second day we usually have okay. four or five but this year we only have seven hours hard stops so okay. it's going to be a little challenging so i'm, I'm getting the elves to come out to help me unbox. <laughs> I was getting ready to say, no, I'm going to start calling on people um, when I get closer to the time because people will tell me anything now and then bail on me later. Yes. So, yeah, I know how people roll. <laughs> right when that day comes. Yes. <laughs> that so commitment that's, that's level gets a little yes, skittish. I do too. So, I'm sure they'll be. Yeah, it, I'm sure it does because it's a lot. But Hopefully, I'm sure it'll all come together nicely. Um, but before we conclude, I feel like I could just talk to you for hours, but just being respectful of your time, I do want to ask you, you dropped so many gems for people who are just starting out. Is there anything else or any other advice you would impart I mean, on someone easy, just breezy, starting in the industry? Work hard, learn everything you can. Uh, try not to say no because you can get your biggest blessing. You're going to learn when you're in the deep and the dark and the grit of it. You're not going to learn very much when things are easy breezy and it's a great day. Pray for hard days, pray for difficult days, you know, cause in the darkness comes the light, you know, and there's nothing wrong with working hard. That's if, if you want a career, you're going to have to work hard. And again, learn on somebody else's dime, learn on somebody else's dime and health benefits. You know, you have an opportunity to work at a firm, say yes, yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And don't ask for the easy jobs, ask for the difficult ones, Mm -hmm. because that's where you're going to learn your best work. And once you grit and you bust your kahunas, nobody can. Seriously, nothing, nobody is ever going to take that from you (laughs) and and study all disciplines. You know, I'm a devotee of classical architecture and contemporary and modern architecture. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, study Vitruvian history, the principles of architecture, you know, just don't walk into a fabric show house and say, I know all the fabrics in Tom Felicia's line. I know it all. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Dig deep, dig deep, dig deeper than anybody would ever want you to go. Yes. 
nice. Wow. That's a lot. You certainly gave me a whole, whole, whole lot to think about. So I really appreciate um, this conversation. Again, I just want to say thank you so, so much um, for taking time out of your schedule and sharing everything. Um, I didn't did share everything. I've got about eight tonight. more hours. <laughs> 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 I know you do I can only imagine I feel like we probably should have a part two someday or a live one day but for those who are listening to this um Joy also oh, hosts yes. the high um, tea with well, Joy you know, do you want to share that really quickly I just went whole hog and was doing Monday the Thursdays four days a week first and I did it for eight weeks and I was exhausted and then work started to pick up during the pandemic. And I really had to sort of set it aside. But I love it. And it's gotten some really great legs. And people have taken notice of it. And it's just a lot of fun. I enjoy it. I talk to journalists, artists, you know, anybody under the sun. Oh, and this Tuesday, tomorrow, actress Tachina Arnold from Martin is going to be my guest from the neighborhood and she's hilarious. So that should be a lot yes. of fun. And also on Wednesday, I'm having a Pamela mm. Jacarino, who's the editor in chief of luxury Lux magazine. So I have a, you know, a bit of a, a mix of people, which I love because okay. everybody's got a story. I don't just have designers and blah, 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 yes. you know, whatever. Keep it interesting. Yes. That's nice. I think that's nice. Yeah, I noticed that. And so by the time this episode goes live, you can see it in my IGTV. Have, you will already have had these I'll lives, save it. But I will. Yes. Okay. That's what I was going to say. They're yes. saved, right? Okay. Well, that's I'll tomorrow be night at 6 30. So <laughs> I'm looking with forward Tashina. to seeing it. Mm-hmm. And she's hilarious. Okay. Awesome. That's going to be great. Okay. Well, Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. I miss that show sometimes because it yeah. was a great show, Martin. It ran it ran a long time. Mm-hmm. She's on the neighborhood so now. I can't wait to see and hear what she's been CBS. doing. Okay, I've okay. seen it once or twice, but she's got so I've much stuff going on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to check it out. Yeah, I have to check it out. Well, I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you at Design on a Dime or some type of event in person. But it was really my pleasure um, to have you on, you know, on a podcast. And I don't know if you remember, the first time I reached out probably was last year oh, in the fall or something. So thank I've you been so waiting much. for a long time to have you on here. <laughs> you bet. So, thank you so thank much, you. Kelly. And I, I really appreciate it. I look forward to talking it. again soon. Best of life, best of love. You're welcome and thank you. Take care.